Good morning, and thank you. I think Martin Luther himself would say, Gott in Himmel, es ist gut, ja. So we are glad to celebrate the good news that our God in a challenging time is a mighty fortress. We have a security that comes from him and is found in him. Even though the earth should shake, our God and his word are a firm foundation for life. Our call to worship um, this morning, I wanted to go all the way to the end of the book and kind of see how things ended. So we'll be taking a passage from the book of Revelation. Let's read responsively, shall we? First of all, the people. Worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Then, says John, I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them saying this, to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Friends, rejoice the Lord. He is the King. Let's stand and sing that. Have a seat, if you would, please. Well, again, good morning. It's my joy to welcome those of you here on site as we're able to gather and worship, sing praise to the living God, gather as his people. But I'm thankful, too, for our opportunity to join those of you online, whether live stream or whether recorded through the week. Um, thank you for letting us worship and in this way join you right where you are. I'm thankful for the power of the Holy Spirit to transcend time and place and to create the body of Christ on earth in communities, people where Jesus can be made known. So I'm loving it. 
A couple of things for today. We'll continue to have our after-service fellowship time, time to greet and catch up, talk. Also, about 10.15, I'll start with the follow-up is what I'm calling it. We'll have opportunity for questions and answers regarding the sermon or for other things. Um, that can get to be a really interesting, lively time. Stump the chump or stump the pastor, I think we've often called, called it. So it's a good time to interact and share things. Uh, feel free to be part of that. You would have also seen in the celebration inform, I'm going to be facilitating a small group. I'm be happy to do several small groups around the book Grace and Truth 1.0. I'm looking for opportunities to have a safe and helpful conversation about what's really a hot topic in our day and time. Faith, sexuality, gender. What is the message of the gospel in the time in which we live? We're going to use this book as kind of a guide as we uh, work with that. So, uh, if you've signed up, uh, I still had, I think, about two spaces left. I'm also happy to start other groups so we can have a good context in which to um, hold conversations. The other thing we're doing online, and I'm thankful for the response, is our online Connect card. If you will take your f smartphone and text that number and type in the word CONNECT, you'll get a link that lets you fill in uh, information, email, you can ask for me to give you a call, just whatever is helpful. And um, that'll let you get on the mailing list for our weekly email and keep up with uh, various things. So that's another way we try to communicate with one another. Um, I'm thankful that I'm not left to figure the world and life and meaning out on my own. Jesus has spoken through his written word and through his church across the ages. We've been given an expression of the faith. Uh, I carry that baton in my generation and seek to equip others to carry it and then pass it on. And so each week we've been taking a question from the Heidelberg Catechism and remembering this statement of faith. So let me begin with a question. It's number 86 for this month. Since we have been delivered from our misery by grace through Christ without any merit of our own, why then should we bother doing good works together? Because Christ, having redeemed us by his blood, is also restoring us by his spirit into his image, so that with our whole lives we may show that we are thankful to God for his benefits so that he may be praised through us, so that we may be assured of our faith by its fruits, and so that by our godly living, our neighbors may be won over to Christ. Let's pray for the empowering that bears that kind of fruit that we speak about in uh, question 86. Let's sing together, Spirit of God who dwells within my heart.
Amen. And have a seat if you would. As we come to prayer this morning, I intend to leave some space. I encourage you in the silent sanctuary of your own heart as I touch some themes. Uh, you add your prayer. You will know folks who have a diagnosis or are facing challenges or in circumstances and need guidance. So you feel free to pray um, in those spaces. And uh, we'll seek the Lord together in that. Let's turn to the Father and pray. Oh, Lord, our God, we thank you that you have loved us. And for the brokenness and confusion of the world, certainly the brokenness and confusion even of our own lives, you have spoken your word to us that we might receive the hope of the gospel, the seed planted deep within that it might bear great fruit. I pray that you would continue to work in each of us to bear fruit right where you've placed us. Thank you that you've called us as part of this larger body, Heart Awake Ministries. We pray for all that goes on under this umbrella, for our witness across the continents through our missions, our witness in the community, through our involvement in various ministries and circumstances and situations. And most of all, I pray for our witness as neighbors. Equip us to share good news in the gospel with those we encounter day by day in a variety of places. I pray for the upcoming council retreat where we will continue to um, work on the vision statement, our values, as we'll prayerfully plan ministry into the upcoming months and years. Help us to hear clearly from you that we might respond with obedience. We pray for our witness in the life of the larger church body as denominations meet, we pray that your grace and word would be clear and strong. We pray for our sister community, Watershed, and for Pastor Aaron as he preaches this day, and for Fusion that will meet after us, for Pastor JB and the word that he will bring. And we remember Luke and Kelsey as now they represent your kingdom in Luke's homeland of Ireland. And for their newborn son, Reese, we pray grace upon their family and their ministry. We thank you for Pastor Florencio and for Mission that will be meeting right in this place in just a few hours and making Jesus compelling and clear in the Spanish language. You've called us into a close-knit community called Celebration that we might know one another and love one another, rejoice when we rejoice together, weep when we're sad together. Hear our prayers and the needs that we know. We pray for Gene Gord at Rest Haven as he rehabs and strengthens. For Beth in what uh, we're calling a low plateau of, plateau of recovery. Be encouragement to she and John. Strength, guidance. Hear our prayers, Father. We lift them to you. And Father, week by week, we pray in a cycle for those in authority, that you would have your hand on them, that you would guide even broken intentions. And this is our week to pray for the federal government. So we pray for President Biden, Vice President Harris, for Michigan Senators, Debbie Stabenow and Gary Peters, for our area representatives, Bill Heisinga and Fred Upton, and for the Supreme Court, Father, the nine justices, that they might... Uh, clearly speak the rule of law, 
We pray your guidance in these troubled, confusing times, both nationally and internationally, that your grace would be our strength and we would live and speak out of that grace. We pray for those who are making decisions, that they would be as a river in your hand. Father, I thank you for the ministry of Scotty Smith, and so I lead us in prayer with his words. So we would meditate on Psalm 46. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations, says the Lord. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord Almighty is with us. Thank you for that good news. Heavenly Father, we waste so much energy and time, indeed too much. We waste it with wishing, regretting, sighing, lamenting, bemoaning things that we see. Whether it's stories from the past, conditions in the present, or new fears that we're baking in the oven of our hearts, there are few peace thieves as effective as the statement, if only, or what if. Given the opportunity, most of us would love a redo on certain chapters and choices in our lives, O Father. But your name, Jesus, is Redeemer, not Redoer. You bring your mercy into our messes. We're the same clay we've always been, but as the kind potter, you are crafting us into vessels of grace that we might bear the good news of a risen Savior. Gracious Jesus, rise within our hearts. Bring us to the place of prayer day by day that we might live out of that refreshing. And remind us of this moment as even as we pray as Jesus taught us using these words, saying, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Well, part of what we're doing through the course of this six-week sermon series is what I'm referring to as building the vision. I want to help us understand uh, what we sense as leadership, the articulation of where God is calling us. Remember, some things never change. The Word of God is given to us. The faith is handed down to us to pass on faithfully. But it's given to each of us and corporately as a body to begin to see what that would look like in our particular time and place. And so from time to time, we look to put into words our vision from God and the values that he'd call us to, it answers the question, who are we? And I've been going through kind of step by step. You remember building the vision, these key words, the first, everyone joining the journey, those three together kind of point us in a direction. And we've been digging into the book of Ephesians chapter two, verses one through 10. Because in this passage, in a unique, powerful way, great themes from all over the Scripture are brought together and kind of feed into this uh, vision as we're trying to articulate it. 
And so let me read once again Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. This morning we'll be looking at the fourth key statement found in. And so I want you to listen to issues of gospel identity in this text, with Christ, in Christ. Hear the word of God. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, that spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we too were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, you know, he made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you've been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For, you see, it's by grace that you have been saved through faith. And this not from yourselves. No, it's the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. For we, ah, we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, our God and Father, we thank you for your kindness that you by your grace have condescended from your glory to speak into human history and language, your truth. We thank you for the Apostle Paul, who from prison, as best we can tell, wrote to the church he'd been a part of planting in Ephesus. And your spirit moved on him in such a way that as he wrote, it was your word to them and to us. Thank you for the amazing way you've preserved these texts across centuries so that now we can receive them, translate, study, meditate, uh, dig into and learn. Be with us by your Holy Spirit and illumine our hearts and minds to see beyond our darkness into the good news of your light. Thank you for your kindness. Guard us from my brokenness, but instead make Jesus clear and compelling. Thank you that he is the giver of life. We place our trust in him and him alone. Holy Spirit, thank you that Jesus has sent you to do all good things and to make him known. Fill us, we pray, for we pray in the mighty name of Jesus and all of God's people sit together. Amen and amen. Identity is a key issue in our day and time. Who am I? What does it mean to live in light of the answer to that question? And so we're asking that question as well of ourselves. Who are we in Christ? And what does that mean about the way we are called to live? Um, I like to talk about gospel identity because I really think it's at the, the heart, the root, the, the, the wellspring, the depth, the beginning of all that God would do that follows in life. And gospel identity is really about a, a new you. We see this in this passage in some extraordinary ways. First of all, um, we're going to see this term in Christ. It's in this passage. But when you step out and look at all the letters of Paul, 
I did a uh, search for the term in Christ, and that term alone is used 82 times. Romans, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, 1st, 2nd Timothy, Titus. 82 times he talks about in Christ. 14 times, and we see this used particularly in our passage, he uses the term with the same sort of meaning, with Christ. Clearly, to understand what the New Testament is saying to us through the Apostle Paul, we need to come to grips with this term, in Christ. What's meant by it? What are the implications? What are the hopes? What are the challenges? What does it mean to be in Christ? It's about gospel identity and, frankly, a new and different you and me. At one time, I was one thing, but now, because I'm in Christ, I'm a different thing. This answers the question, who are you and who are we? The Bible's teaching on humanity, that is to say, theologically, we'd call it the doctrine of anthropology. It begins with this idea that every human you will ever meet is first an image bearer. God created every human, no matter what condition, no matter what location, no matter what circumstance, you will never see a human being who is not an image bearer of God. He created us that way. The second key thing it has to teach us is that we are all deeply broken. Image bearers that are broken, that's sin. It's as if, and I like to use this metaphor, we were created as perfect mirrors to reflect God's glory. But something happened and the mirror got cracked. Uh, I was born as a cracked mirror. And then since I've been on my own and living, I've broken the mirror myself. I inherited a broken mirror. I've lived to break it. This is where the good news comes to bear because of what Jesus did on the cross. Remember, Jesus is God the Son who took on human form so that he could give his life for mine. And in doing that, because of what he did on the cross, he took the broken mirror of my life and made a marvelous mosaic of it. Indeed, he made a marvelous mosaic that combined me with others. That's what the church is to be. And together, the broken mirror of my life and our life together more beautifully reflects the person of Jesus. That's how we see Jesus. It's an amazing thing. The scripture lets us see that image bearers who are broken, but because of the cross have the opportunity to be made something different. That's the new you. That's the gospel identity. He takes what is broken and makes something unbelievable. I mean, amazing, marvelous. That should take our breath away from time to time. That on my own, a broken mirror, but in Christ, not only a beautiful reflection mosaic, but part of a greater move of God. We've seen week by week how this gospel identity is received. It's given to us, God's grace, and we respond in faith. Gospel identity is not something achieved, something that we do, well, like you line up 
did they in the Christian Reformed Church have those little banners of perfect attendance? And if you started in first grade, you'd get that award, and then year by year, you could add more, like an army general, with that achievement of perfect attendance. Well, perfect attendance at Sunday school should be a good thing. But that's not what it means to be in Christ. In Christ is a gift given to us. Do you hear how it just exudes in Paul's language here? He can hardly make a statement without saying, it's by grace that you've been saved and not of yourselves. So gospel identity is received, not achieved. And here's another important word for our world and us as we live in our world. It's not self-determined. I'm going to unpack that some because you see, gospel identity is not mine to choose. I've used the term before, cafeteria Christianity. In the United States, we're so schooled to think that, well, I have this freedom and I have this choice. And so I can go down the teaching of the scripture, the words of the gospel and say, well, I like that. So I'm putting that on my, oh, but I don't like that. Oh, but I like this and I'll have a lot of that. Friends, the gospel is a gift given to us. The identity that it creates is to be received, not self-determined. So gospel identity is about a new you, and it builds out into our lives. It gives us a core identity, who I am in Christ, that produces values and behaviors. I love beauty because God is beautiful. I love humility because I see in Christ what humility is. I value various behaviors. Why? Because that's what the gospel is at work to produce in me. That identity bears this kind of fruit. And we see it in the text this morning. When we are in Christ, we were created to do good works. And why do we do those good works? Did you hear in question 86? That we might express our gratitude to God. That we might be assured of God at work in our lives. Believe me, when I hear myself accidentally say something humble, there's a sign that God's at work in Bill's life. See, we see those fruit and we say, oh, God is at work. And it's as a witness to the good news of the gospel, God's love for our neighbors. I want to talk today really about core identity. There are a number of different ways we can all identify ourselves. After all, um, I'm a pastor, I'm a husband, I'm a father, I'm a citizen. I'm a variety of different things. And to really know me, you know those identities. But we've got to ask ourselves, what's at the core? What's the one thing without which I would no longer be who I am? What's the one thing that then influences every other identity that I might have? I've been a musician for years, followed a number of musicians' careers, and one of the things I see happen often is a a musician that I like will get converted. And suddenly you see the impact on their songwriting, on what they do in life. It's amazing. There's a real change. But I'm old enough that I've now some, seen some guys get converted and then kind of deconvert. And I don't know their hearts, but I follow their career. I want to tell you, when Eric Clapton was in the band Blind Faith, 
and they were playing songs like In the Presence of the Lord. That was gospel music. How did he end up five years later singing, she don't lie, she don't lie, she don't lie, cocaine? How is it that we go like that? Bob Dylan, others, you see this experience that then fades away. I'm not exactly sure, I don't know their hearts, but here's how I've come to understand it. I would ask this question, are you a Christian musician or a musician who is a Christian? Which is at the core? See, a Christian musician will always be a musician, and they may be a Christian, they may not, but they'll always be what they are. When someone becomes a Christian, they may continue as a musician. But whether they play or whether they don't play, they are who they have become. They live in the identity that they've received. If you're an English major, which is the adjective and which is the noun, object? Is Christian describing your identity as a musician? Or is musician describing your core identity as a Christian. See, that's what we're struggling with. We all have multiple identities and identifiers. Some of them are good. I'm thankful to be a son and a husband and a father, and it's been a blessing to be a pastor. I'm a citizen and thankful for all that means for me of the United States. And it's not nearly as important as those things, but I'm also a Saints fan. That's part of knowing who I am, and that's fine. The question I want you to ask, the question that I hope you see me asking is, what's at the center? The journey of gospel maturity, we use that term, the journey. The journey of gospel maturity is about moving our identity in Christ more and more to the center so that that identity being in Christ becomes the one and only that alters all the other identities. I am not a Christian dad. I'm a dad who is a Christian. I'm not a Christian husband. I'm a husband who is a Christian. And believe me, friends, as I begin to live out of an identity in Christ as a husband, things will be different. Because you see, my identity in Christ calls me to lay down my life, to love my wife as Christ loved the church. How did Christ love the church? It says he gave his life for her. Gentlemen, are you the image of Christ, identified in Christ in your marriage? Go ahead and die. You see, when that's the central identity, that's our calling. That's what's working out. And for that to work out, friends, we're going to have to say no to some things. See, there are many identities that I have. Many of them are really good and acceptable. They just need to be second or third, or in the case of a Saints fan, fourth or fifth. But at the core, there's got to be in Christ. And for Christ to be at the center, I'm going to have to say no to some things. We don't often think about gospel identity and no. But to say yes to Christ, there's some other things we need to say no to. I want to introduce you to a fellow, Henri Nouwen. He's deceased at this point. But he's a a man, he was born in, is it Nykerk, the Netherlands? Is that how you pronounce that? At the age of about 10, he was living under Nazi occupation. 
And he's written often about the lies of identity because, you see, he went on to become a Catholic priest, went on to have an amazing teaching career, and then ended his life serving those with special needs. Fascinating guy. This is the first book that I really was shaped by by him. It's called Return of the Prodigal Son. You'll see that Rembrandt painting in my office. Mary Lynn can tell you about us sitting in an airport in Cincinnati, and I'm reading that book and just weeping, seeing where I've been, an older brother instead of a younger brother returning to the father. Henri Nouwen has helped us identify the challenge of gospel identity. There's a picture of him in a book that celebrates his um, work. He talks about, all through his writings and sermons, the three lies of identity. The first one is this, I am what I have. Now, I'm thankful. I've got a lot of things. But nothing that I have defines who I am. So anything I have can be taken away or disappear, and I will still be who I am. You know, you can retire and not lose your identity. You might not be sure what you're going to do. Your schedule may change. You may be glad to be done with demands, but all that comes from working and having, that can stop. And in Christ, you are still a deeply loved, fully adopted child of the great creator king. The lie of identity that he calls, I am what I do. Well, I felt good about myself as a pastor of growing churches. And then God said, you can feel good about yourself even when you're not in ministry. It looked like a season of unemployment. It crushed me. if you know anything about my story. But Jesus was teaching me that I'd begun to believe a lie about who I was. Friends, your kids can grow up and move. You will be in a different season of parenthood, but you need not lose your identity. You are still a deeply loved, fully adopted child of the great creator king. It's a transition to enter empty nesting. But it doesn't rattle our core identity. Another one, what others say about me. Oh my. I can't believe how perturbed I get when folks say, oh, you are this, you must think that. It kind of gets under my skin. Because you see, my core identity is not this and thinking that. My core identity is deeply loved, fully adopted child of the great creator king. We are who we are in Christ and we live out of that. Sometimes we will be uh, affirmed by the world, sometimes we will not. I tell high school kids, middle school kids all the time that when your circle of friends turns on that one person, when there's bullying, when there's inappropriate things said behind people's back, You are free to say no. Hold on. I'm not going to do that or go there against this person in our circle because you yourself, you're not depending on those people to know who you are. Christ has given you an identity. 
that solid identity becomes the ground from which to live as a friend to your friends. There is a time, there was a time that we would tell our daughters that the greatest thing in life was to grow up and be a mother. I'm thankful for some of the changes that have widened the horizon. Yes, it's women are pursuing careers and serving in great ways. They bring great gifts. I'm thankful of that and affirming of that. But the gospel would tell both our sons and our daughters that holding parenthood or career as a core identity will never give you life. You see, telling our daughters that, oh, you can pursue a career if the message that comes with that is because career is what's always mattered for our sins, we're lying to both our sons and our daughters. In Christ, pursue his calling and whatever he would call you to. With Christ at the core, you bring that to family or to career. Those become secondary. Here's the good news. You were created for far more than that. And that's a dramatic no to our culture. You see, Paul can say, married, that's fine. Single, ah, that's better. Why? Because neither of those speak to our core identity. In Christ does. The world can hardly imagine fulfillment without active sexuality. The scripture says, in Christ, that identity gives meaning to every other identity. In Christ. Beware these three uh, false statements about identity. But irony alert, there's one that I think is more pervasive and dangerous, and I want to point out to that. Here's an experience. I was looking to get a clear statement of these three things. Henri Nouwen has made that statement in so many books that there's a number of different statements. So I was out on the internet looking for different ways that he stated it, and I found on a website that I would not give you because I think it's worth avoiding. They list those three identities and then listen what they say. Your true identity comes from within. It comes from a deep connection to yourself, not from anything that is outside of you. Friends, I want to tell you, the gospel says no to that. The gospel first says no. Why? Because you and I, I won't talk about you. I'll just talk about me right now. I am prone to self-deception. If I try to build an identity as an expression of the deep inclinations of my heart, I will be self-deceived and self-destructive. That's hard to believe because I'm a bright guy. I, I know myself and I know the direction of my heart why I had life figured out when I was 14. I knew that life was about football and cheerleaders. And I was living that way. Now, here's what's fascinating. Follow me on this. By 15, I had a serious football injury, and it was the end of football. My core identity as a little 15-year-old guy was wrecked. But in the course of that, someone shared with me the gospel of Jesus Christ, and I gave my life in faith to Christ. 
And as I got involved in a youth group, you know what? I wanted to be the coolest kid, kind of that uh, alpha dog in my youth group. Why? Because I was hoping to catch the idea or the eyes of someone like Mary Lynn. You see, I transferred from a meaning of life as football and cheerleaders to it's about Christ and hopefully Christ will give me the life I want. It took years and bit by bit, step by step, that Jesus began to say, no, Bill, it's not about these other things, it's about me. Let me order these other things in your life. You see, I first came to faith and continued living for self. Why? Because my heart is broken and self-deceived. Jeremiah says that the heart is deceitful above all things and it's beyond cure. Who can understand it? I can't. I don't trust self to give me an identity that will last because self is prone to self-deception. Remember, the image of God has been broken and shattered. So we need to understand that gospel identity, the gift that God has for us, often says no to some things, but that's only so it can say yes to even better and greater and more wonderful things. We don't have time to look at all 82 statements of in Christ and what that means, but let me touch just five very, very quickly. In 2 Corinthians 5.17, we're told that the new creation has come. Paul writes, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. That's our inheritance in Christ. Jesus says yes to this identity for me, new creation. I'm adopted as a child of the great king. So in Christ, it says in Galatians 3.26, you are all children of God through faith. That's how we move from image bearers that are shattered to adopted children. It's his grace. One of the first promises that I began to meditate on, I've told folks that if they waste money doing an autopsy on my body, they will find tattooed inside my skull. Romans 8.1. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You know, I welcome the conviction of the Holy Spirit to begin to illumine my sin, to bring me to repentance and freedom. But the voice of condemnation, I know where that comes from, and it's not the throne of God. Because if I'm in Christ by his grace, there is now no condemnation. How about forgiveness? Paul writes in Ephesians 4.32, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. What's the unity of the body of Christ based on? Listen to Romans 12.5. So in Christ, we, though many, form one body. Each member belongs to all the others. In Christ, we are bound together. Remember, friends, we were also created to do good works. That's what in Christ means. His fruit will be born in our lives by his grace and power. When my identity is in Christ, I want to tell you something. I'm not free to define my own values and behaviors. Leadership is a call to servanthood. It's not a question of whether you're elected or not. It's a call to servanthood because Jesus established that as leadership. Look at what Jesus establishes 
And you'll see that he gives us an identity and that bears fruit. It's not my own values and behaviors. And so I want to work this out a bit of what this would look like in the course of life. You see, when I'm not defined by wealth, I'm free to then be generous. I've known folks who, as they've seen their career take off and the paycheck get bigger and bigger, they kept living the same way so they could give more and more. With a gospel identity that's not based on wealth, I'm free to be generous. When my life is not defined by my job, I'm free to live with integrity. I know in the various jobs that I've been, and I've been in and out of ministry, but the biggest challenge for living in a job with integrity for me was the sense that I really needed the job. That where I felt like I was in a bind was when, man, I need this job, either for me or for somebody else. But when my core identity is, no, I'm a child of the great creator king, and children of the king don't value that or behave that way, then I was free from the demands of my job. I've been forgiven, and so I'm able, by God's grace, to live as a forgiving person. That didn't come natural. It doesn't come natural because it's not. Not until we experience the forgiveness does there begin to be a flow. And friends, it takes time. I'm not saying this is a single light switch. It begins to flow and our lives can be more generous and more shown by integrity and forgiveness. See, once I learn that I'm not condemned in Christ, then I don't need to condemn others. I can live freely and loving. I tell folks often, you know, you don't have to agree with me in order for me to love you and pray for you. I'm committed to doing that because of what Jesus has done for me. Friends, I want to tell you, gospel identity is the great promise, the work of Jesus. It's what's happening along our journey that bit by bit, day by day, step by step, increasingly our identity in him begins to affect everything else. I want to close with a particular scripture, a particular word of Jesus. It's in all three synoptic gospels. Jesus said to them, whoever wants to be my disciple, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, so what do you do? You must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. You see, this is what I'd call the paradox of the gospel. Want to find your life? Die and live to Christ. In Christ, you will find the most fulfilling, amazing, dramatic life. It may take you places you would never choose. That was a promise that Jesus made to Peter. He makes it to us. I've been some places, I've been through some things I would not choose. But in the midst of those, the Holy Spirit has borne something out in my life to the glory of God and to the benefit of others that lets me say, yes, gospel identity is at the core, not self-fulfillment. Do you see that no? Do you hear that yes? Do you see the vision of the fruit of God at work in you, in us, all as we're altered transformed even into a reflection that we were created to be of the very person of Christ, the good news of the gospel. That's for you. That's for us.
Let's pray. Father, you've loved us deeply, even at the cost of your son. And so help us to see and dramatically to recognize that and to see how even in the laying down of life, there comes a resurrection to new and different life. And so I pray both today and through this week and in days to come that you would help us wrestle with this idea of what's my core identity. Am I really seeking security in what I do or what I have or what others say about me? Does my heart really want to hold back and say, no, I get to define what I want? Or with trembling hands and quivering lips, do we come to you and say, thy will be done. Your identity, primary shaping who I am as an employee or a student or a father or a daughter or a mother or a wife or a husband or a citizen or an entrepreneur. What's the object and what's the adjective? Father, we thank you that you've loved us. Continue to work the gospel deep into us. I want to take a moment this morning and we just recite together. We do it from time to time, what I call the heart of white gospel meditation, this prayer that I've brought together to try to focus us on these things. Let's pray this together if this is your prayer. Because of what Jesus did on the cross for me and for all humanity, I am not my own. But instead, by the working of his grace, I am a deeply loved and fully adopted child of the great creator king. Jesus has loved me first and loved me as I am, right here and right now, not as I should be or could be. He has also given the Holy Spirit to work in me, transforming me day by day into his likeness. In that way, Jesus increasingly works through me as he brings about the restoration and reconciliation of all creation. Holy Spirit, help me to believe this and increasingly see the evidence of your work in my life, values, and actions. Friends, week by week here, we're building the vision. Remember, first, As we build the vision, everyone joining the journey. And today we've tried to add what it means to be found in. Our closing hymn, Rejoice, O Pure in Heart. Let me take just a moment before we sing this because we need to be clear. How is it that we're able to sing this? If purity of heart is your work, we're in trouble. But because we are in Christ, we are a new creation. And that's where purity of heart comes from. In Christ, we sing, rejoice, give thanks, and sing. Let's stand.
benediction, the blessing from the words of Paul in 2 Corinthians. He says this, And now may the grace of Christ, which daily renews us, and the love of God, which enables us to love all, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, which unites us in one body, may they make us eager to obey the will of God until we meet again. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen and amen.